following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. I love this picture, and especially uh, on the heels of the Good Samaritan where Jesus says, if you are truly a follower of Christ, your life will be characterized by a heart of compassion that motivates you to meet the needs of people around you. You will be a servant. You will be helping people, right? And right on the heels of that, you get this picture of Martha, who's like super servant on steroids, right? Like Miss Super uh, go out there and serve people. And uh, she's uh, welcomed Jesus into her house, and she's putting on this 29-course meal for Jesus and his disciples. And um, she's not handling all this very well, right? She's doing good things, but it's clear that in her efforts to do many good things, she's failed to grasp, as Jesus says, the one vitally important essential thing in life. And because of that, her life is, is spinning out of control, Okay, anybody, can, can anybody relate to that? Am I the only one here this morning who's not feeling at some level stressed out, right? Harried, frantic, right? And the, the reality is, and, and this has been true in my life many, many times in my life, where I have been so uh, focused on serving God and doing good things, and I have been so plugged into doing a lot of good things, I have failed to do and to recognize the one thing that really matters, to see the thing in life that is most vital and most important. And the result of that is always a life that is feeling stressed and burned out. Um, and I know how it is. And, and uh, in this room are a lot of people uh, who are doing ministry, who are helping people, who are doing all kinds of good things, uh, you're running your kids here and there, trying to keep up with their schedules. You're trying to be a good wife or a good husband. You're carrying financial burdens. And if you were to be honest, you would say it's about to kill you. Right? And it's leaving you feeling stressed out and anxious and troubled. Right? I want to ask for a show of hands, but you know who you are, right? Your husband or wife knows who you are. And that's not the way God designed or intended life to be. That is not what God is asking of you. And, and Jesus says the only solution to this is when we, when we grab hold of the one thing in life that is essential and vitally important. So let's see if we can discover what that is as, as Mary had. The one thing that we need in life. Um, so let's go back to the story. And uh, you've got these two sisters and they are clearly being driven and motivated by two different kind of forces, um, motivators in their life, right? Um, says, as Jesus went on their way, they came to this village, and a woman named Martha welcomed Jesus into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Uh, Mary is clearly driven by a, a desire to know Jesus, that is the consuming thing in her life at this point. And when Jesus comes in, both sisters welcome. Uh, Martha welcomes as, as the, the house owner, uh, as the hostess welcomes Jesus in. But, but Mary welcomes Jesus in a much different way as she uh, 
as soon as he gets in the door, he sits down and she plops herself down at Jesus' feet uh, uh, in an attitude of, of listening and submission and uh, zoning in on who Jesus is. Right? And her, her motive is clearly she wants to know who Jesus is and she wants to hear him speak to her. Um, and it's significant that... Um, the, the words that are used here and this posture of sitting in his feet is not just because of other chairs in the house. And sometimes we get this, well, it was, you know, back in the old days and seating was limited, so that's why she sat on the floor. No, this is, this is the picture description of a disciple. This is one who's put themselves under the teaching and authority of a leader. And uh, she's placing herself in a place where uh, Jesus is going to be the master who directs her life. And by this posture, she is humbly submitting her life to Christ and saying, Jesus, you are uh, master of my life. And if you doubt that, if you, if you say I'm reading a lot of just that he, she sat at his feet, notice what uh, Jesus has addressed is here. It's not she sat at the feet of Jesus, but what does it say? She sat at the feet of the Lord. Rare uh, instance for Luke to use that title for Jesus, but he, he uses it here. Uh, Jesus is here pictured as one who has the right to rule. He is one who has power and uh, rule over, uh, over people's lives as Lord, as master teacher. And so she comes and she places herself under Jesus uh, and, and seeks to hear his word. So she, she listens to his teaching. She is tuned in on his word because she wants her life to be led and directed by the master. So what this means is she comes in, Jesus is there, she puts herself under his authority, and she says, in essence, by her attitude and by her posture, Jesus has control of my life, and he's the one who will tell me what and how to do things. If I am to help my sister, if I'm not to help my sister, if I'm, if I'm supposed to do all the work for my sister... Jesus is the one who's going to be in charge of that. I'm yielding my own will, my own agenda, and my own plans, and I am going to allow Jesus to direct my life. Right, so she seeks him. She wants to know him. She wants to be identified clearly as, as, as his follower, uh, which would have been very rare in Jesus. They take the, for a woman to take the place and posture of a disciple, as she does, is an extraordinary move on her part because that was something really reserved for men. But she wants to be a follower of Jesus. So she is driven and motivated by that. And nothing's going to get in, in her way. She is urgently and desperately in need of Jesus to ensure how to live her life. That's what motivates her. And uh, all the expectations of the world are not going to interfere with that. Not even her crazy older sister. Okay? Uh, speaking of whom says in verse 40 that Martha was distracted with much serving. Uh, Martha is, is preparing this elaborate meal for Jesus. And what is it that's driving her? Well, it's very likely that Martha, she welcomed Jesus in. Okay, it's not like they're enemies, right? She loves Jesus. She wants to do things for Jesus. Um, there's a, a very high likelihood that Martha desires deep communion and fellowship with Jesus. But there's something greater that's driving and motivating her life. And I believe that is uh, she's being driven by expectations. Uh, and these expectations can come from any number of places. And we don't know where it came from from her. 
Maybe she is driven by what she thinks Jesus expects of her. She's the hostess. She's the one who invited him. Maybe she thinks this is what Jesus wants. He's, he's going to be disappointed if, they, if he doesn't get a, a big meal. Okay? Some of us are guys. We, you know, we can kind of give off those vibes. Amanda weighs hardest through his stomach, right? It's kind of the message we, we can portray. Maybe, and maybe that's kind of how she thought it was with Jesus. Uh, maybe, and certainly, society would have put these kind of expectations on her, that if you invite somebody into your home, this is how you treat them. You don't just, you know, lay around you. You, you, provide, you provide a meal. You provide a big meal. And if he's an honored guest, you pr- provide a really big meal. So there's the expectations of culture. Uh, There may be her own expectations she put on herself of what kind of image or reputation she wants to have. She wants to be uh, have a reputation in the community as a real, you know, a a really top-notch host, a hostess who knows how to uh, put on a a shindig for somebody like Jesus, an affair for somebody like Jesus. Maybe she even thought this is what God expected of her. Maybe she thought. Uh, you know, maybe she, you know, had heard the parable of the Good Samaritan and she heard all this stuff about taking care of people's needs and getting out there and loving people and being a, uh, committed to helping those in need. And she saw Jesus needed food. And so she felt like this is what God wants me to do. God is all about me serving him. And so if I'm going to be a good Christian, if I'm going to be a good follower, I need to serve him well. Right? Uh, so she had all these uh, expectations that are driving her to uh, to take care of Jesus. And she's very concerned about meeting his needs uh, like the Good Samaritan did. But in reality, she does not stop long enough to really ask Jesus what he wants. Right? She never really gets tuned in enough to find out what it is Jesus needs or even what she needs. And the reality is she does not really understand what God is asking of her. Right? She thinks um, she needs to serve. It says she is being distracted. And the word there has the idea of being drawn away from what's important by things that are less important. And that's exactly what she was in stuff. She was being drawn away by all these good things, of all this serving, of all this activity, from the thing that was really vital and essential in her life. Um, she is far too busy to sit still and listen to find out what Jesus wants, to find out what God is asking of her, and to learn from him. And so you get this great picture of Martha as a person who is being driven uh, by the urgent and not the important. Right? Any of us ever been there? Right? Where our life is driven by the urgent things and the demands placed on us, rather than on clear priorities of what is most important. Um, Anytime we live our life uh, driven by the expectations of others or even the expectations of self or the wrong expectations of what we think God is asking of us, this is where life goes. We find ourselves distracted, drawn away into all kinds of good things but missing the essential thing. Uh, and, and the reality is that all these things scream out for our time, energy, and attention. And, and I know how life works. Um, there are lots of people who want our help. And all of them want our help three days ago, right? 
They don't, they, you know, nobody calls and says, hey, you know, I got some things coming up in three months. If you could schedule this in, it'd be great. No, everybody wants now, right? Because we're not very patient. And there's all these demands that come on us. Uh, and, and we feel the pressure to be a good husband, to be a good father, to be a good wife, to be a good employee, to be a good Christian, uh, to meet uh, all those needs and all those expectations that are being put on us. Um, and like Martha, uh, we can soon be so driven by the urgent things that we never stop to really consider and ask God what he really wants of us and what he's asking us to do. Um, and, and here's the principle. Okay, get this. Everything good that you could do is not automatically something God is asking you to do. You got that? Everything good you could do is not automatically something God is asking you to do. But do we live life thinking that through? Right? Do we consider what God is really asking of us? Or are we just driven by all the good things that come into our life? Parents are driven by their kids, trying to keep up with their impossible schedule. Kids are driven by the school, uh, by all the great and good activities they can be involved with. Homework, sports, drama, clubs, Bible studies, camping trips, and on and on and on it goes, right? And nobody's stopping to say, out of all this hundreds of good things we can do, what should I really be doing? What is the important thing that God is asking me to do? Instead, we indiscriminately try to do it all. And what happens? Well, we end up like Martha, stressed out, burned out, frustrated, right? resentful. Uh, God did not ask us to live this way. It may be good, but it is not necessary. Um, and the result is that our life really does spin out of control. And notice... Uh, notice Martha, as the story goes on, it gives us a glimpse into the attitude behind her serving and really the out-of-control condition of her life. It says, and says, so, so Martha's distracted by the serving, and it says, and, G, and she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has deserted me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Um, Martha's doing very good things, but she's doing them with a terrible attitude, right? This is not service with a smile. <laughs> okay, this is service with a really bad attitude. Um, you know, have you ever been to a fast food place, whatever, McDonald's? Hardly ever in Asia, but maybe in the West, like McDonald's, KFC, whatever, right? And, and the guy taking your order looks at you as if he would like to just kill you if you order anything. <laughs> and you're feeling like... I'm sorry, I, I need food. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Right? You ever had those? Or maybe, uh, you know, the airline hostess as you're getting on the plane who gives you that look that says, if you even think of asking for anything, I'll kill you. Right? I'm sorry, sorry. Just take my seat. won't bother you, right? Well, it's kind of how Martha is, right? She might be serving, but with, it's with this attitude of anger and frustration. Uh, notice what she says. It says she, she comes to Jesus. Literally in the Greek it says... She comes and stands over Jesus. And when you, when you put that picture up against Mary's posture, it's staggering, right? Mary has come and she's put herself in a humble position of submission at Jesus' feet. But Martha comes where? Standing over Jesus. Right? 
She is not taking the position of a disciple. She is taking one who's uh, the status of position of one who's going to take control of the situation. I'm not going to let Jesus manage the situation. I'm going to make Jesus manage the situation the way I want it to come out. She comes with this brash boldness that is not the attitude or heart of a disciple. Secondly, she accuses Jesus, right? Right? Jesus, don't you give a rip about what my sister is doing here? You heartless, you know, unhelpful Jesus person. Get with the program, right? Um, That's the tone of her words, right? She's not coming humbly asking, you know, Jesus, I'm kind of dying here. But she comes accusing Jesus of, of really mistreating her by by not paying attention to what's going on here, right? Um, Thirdly, uh, she demands Jesus to deal with it, right? Imperative verb here. He says, Jesus, tell her, tell her to help me, right? She's she's now ordering Jesus around, right? Complete opposite of the heart and attitude of Mary, who came as, as a disciple, as a follower, humble and submissive, willing to listen to Jesus' teaching and instruction. Martha comes overbearing, controlling, and demanding. All this as a good and loving host who's trying to throw a party. This kind of kills the spirit of things, right? That's where Martha is. Uh, her, Her attitude is unraveling all the potential benefits of her uh, what she desires to be a loving gift to Jesus, right? Um, it goes on. It says that, uh, that the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Right? You are anxious and troubled about many, many things. In essence, uh, Jesus very, very answers her very gently and very tenderly. And the double use of her name, Martha, Martha, is a sign of deep affection and feeling, right? This is not a harsh rebuke. This is not scolding. Jesus very gently and lovingly addresses her and tells her, Martha, your life is totally chaotic and stressed out, right? I'm just telling you, in all the love and compassion I can, your life is a mess, right? Your life is out of control. Um, She says, you are consumed with so many things. And the focus... Here is on that idea of many, right? You're being overwhelmed by all the stuff you're trying to deal with in life. All the good things you're trying to do, all the service you're trying to be about is consuming you. And it is causing within you uh, stress, anxiety, right? The word anxious really has the idea of being stressed out. And it's causing you to be troubled um, with this idea that it's, it's, um, it's, turbulent, right? It's chaotic. Um, your life is a chaotic mass of noodles, right? It's just all this stuff that's in turmoil and unstructured and unorganized and unordered. And, and Jesus highlights here an important principle of a stressed out, out of control life. And that is this. Martha had no clear organizing center to her life, right? She was living life without any real priorities, without anything to 
and structure of what was most essential and what was things that she could skip over. And she's trying to do everything. And it's all just a mass of chaos, a tangled web of activity and busyness that's causing her stress um, and huge burden. Um, and, and basically Jesus is saying, look, your life is too full. Your life is too busy, and this is not what I've called you to. Right? God does not call us to a life that is too busy. Right? No, don't raise your hands, but be honest to yourself. How many of you have ever said, like in the last day, my life is too busy? Right? My life is too busy. How many of you feel like that would capture a lot of what your life is about? My life is just too busy. Right? Um, here's, here's the truth, okay? And here's what Jesus would say to that. He, he would say, there's no such thing as too busy. There is only a life that is without priorities. When you are too busy, what you are saying is, I don't know what's important and I'm trying to do everything and I can't order and arrange my life in a way that works and makes sense. Because right? I have no organizing center to help me decide those things to help set priorities of what is essential and must be done and what's optional and can be chucked. Right? There's no, did Jesus ever say, oh, I am just too busy? Ever. Any, any, as far as I know in the Gospels, Jesus never said that. Was Jesus busy? Incredibly. Was he ever too busy? Never. Because his life was perfectly ordered by God's direction. Jesus knew what was essential, what was vital, what was important, and what was not. And he focused on the things that were important, and he chucked the things uh, that were not. Right? Um, we need to learn how to identify what is the center core and vital thing in our life. Or we will always end up here. We will always end up feeling stressed and on the verge of burnout because there are infinitely endless possibilities of good things we can do, right? How do you decide what you are called to? Um, so, so Jesus says this, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. I love that. Jesus says there is really only one essential thing in life. Okay, this makes it pretty simple. Okay, we're not even talking about like the, like the top three priorities like, or like the ten essentials. Jesus says, this is easy, there's really only one thing in life that is important. There's only one thing in life that you have to worry about. There's really only one thing in life you have to get right. And if you get this part right, everything else falls into place and works. If you don't get this right, it's a mess, right? So Jesus, Jesus says, Mary has chosen the good portion, right? This necessary thing. She has chosen it, which will not be taken away from her. So what exactly is the good thing? What is the portion that Mary chose that Martha did not get? Uh, well, it's clearly uh, that it is Christ alone, right? Christ is the one important thing in life. And that seems easy enough, right? Uh, it's like, hey, I knew that. I knew that answer. Right? I could have got that right. Why didn't you ask me? Um, great Sunday school answer, right? Jesus, 
the Bible. Um, what does that mean? Uh, what does it mean that Jesus is the one essential, necessary thing in our life? Uh, that, it, that our life uh, needs basically just Christ alone. Well, it, in Scripture, one of the images or pictures that the Bible uses to explain this is it says that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And the idea was that it was the essential rock upon which the rest of the building depended to be true and plumbed and solid, right? Uh, since we don't actually build stuff like that anymore, it's not an image that works for most of us because I couldn't, I couldn't actually tell you really what a cornerstone is, really, and I've never seen one. So, uh, so let me give you a different image that I think captures the same thing. And that really is this idea of being... Of, of, of a life that is Christ-centered, right? Um, and what do we mean by that? Well, what it means is that any, any wheel, whether it's a, a small little wheel on your refrigerator up to a ginormous Ferris wheel with many, many complex parts, any wheel, no matter how small, for it to work properly and spin relatively, with relative ease and smoothness, it has to have an exact center, Right? And if the exact center is, is truly the center, the wheel works. It turns and spins smoothly with relatively little effort. Uh, if you've ever ridden a bicycle where, where the uh, spokes had gotten messed with and the, the, the center was no longer the actual center, okay, and maybe you've seen like the clown bikes, they kind of do this on purpose, what happens? Does it spin smoothly? No, it doesn't work. In fact, it's very wobbly and unstable. And if you spin it fast enough, it will just self-destruct. Right? So it's, it's vital that there is an organizing point around which everything else is ordered and moves. And I think Jesus is saying here, the one important thing is Christ, that Jesus would be truly the center of our life. That everything would be ordered and organized and structured around, around Jesus and around his instruction and guidance in our life that our life would be Christ-centered. Um, and you may say, well, you know, that's, that's all great and well, but uh, you, you, don't, you don't understand how complicated my life is. Okay, and this is what I've told, this is what I've told God on many a times. It's like, yeah, I know Jesus is supposed to be the center, and I want him to be. Uh, I welcome him into my life, and I want to serve him well, but Jesus, you just don't know how complicated life is, right? To be a parent and to have children and to have ministry demands and expectations and we've got to go to immigration and they won't give me my, my visa and all these things are so complicated. Jesus, you don't appreciate how difficult life is, right? And sure, we would like for you to be the center, but it's just not that simple. You ever feel that way? You ever told God that? Um, well, notice what Jesus says. He says... He says, Mary has chosen the good portion. Uh, the reality is that we feel oftentimes that the chaos of our life is just thrust upon us and we don't have a choice in it. Jesus says, no, that's absolutely not true. You make choices about your life and you live with the results of those choices. If your life is stressed and chaotic and out of control, it's because of choices we've made to get there, right? Or choices we have not made to make sure that Christ is the center of it. Jesus said, Mary has chosen the good portion. When I came into the house, 
Mary made clear and distinct choices about what she was going to do with her time and where she was going to position herself in relationship to me and how she was going to deal with the expectations of her out-of-control older sister. She made choices about that, realizing that some of those choices would make her out-of-control sister even angrier. Mary was pro- I think Mary knew her sister well, right? And Mary knew where this would go, right? And uh, maybe she's kind of got her hood over her head, you know, sitting at Jesus' feet, just waiting for Martha to erupt, right? But she's made choices knowing that what she needs most is Christ in her life to order and guide her. No longer to be ruled and dominated by the expectations of her sister or others. And even though she knew it would cause problems, she chose that path and that course of action. Um, we do have choices. And the reality is, every day, we need to decide and choose if Christ is truly going to be the center of our life or not. So what does that mean? What does it mean to choose Christ? What does it mean to have Christ alone as Lord of our life? Well, I think in this passage it means three clear things. First thing, it means that Jesus is Lord. It means Jesus is Lord, not Jesus is ministry project. And we get that easily confused. And I don't know how many times I've, I've done this and how many times I've talked to people who say, well, I'm, you know, I'm serving God with my whole life. I am super busy giving my life to God in service and doing good things for Him. I really don't have time for Him. <laughs> right? Okay, there's no such thing. Right? No matter how much you feel like you are welcoming Him and no matter how much you feel like you are doing for Him, what is most important is not what you are doing for Him. What is most important is what God wants to do for you and in you. Right? And we forget that. Like Martha, we come with this superior attitude over Jesus, wanting to command and dictate to God what he needs to do. Uh, Because we want to serve him. That is not uh, what it means for Jesus to be Lord. For Jesus to be Lord means that we daily submit our life under his rule and authority. And we say to Christ, You have the right to tell me how to run my life. You alone have the right to set the priorities for what I'm going to do with my hours and my days and my time. And I guarantee you, Jesus is going to ask you to do things that is going to go against the expectations you feel. And you're going to have to make a choice. Am I going to submit to what I I know is God's will, even though it's going to make people around me unhappy with me? because I'm not, in the short term, going to meet their expectations. Is Jesus Lord? Is Jesus really running your life? Uh, You cannot substitute service for lordship. You cannot substitute obedience for going out there and doing good deeds for God. Because until you have asked what God wants from you, you cannot serve him. You cannot uh, meet his expectations in your life. Uh, For Mary, Jesus was the supreme object of all her love and devotion. And I'm not talking here about a legalism where where we we try to do good things to earn God's approval. Mary made Jesus as Lord as one whom she loved 
and whom she sought to serve out of her love and devotion to Christ. Jesus Lord. Secondly, uh, we need to be devoted to Christ as a disciple. If Jesus is truly Lord, it means that we are serious about following him, right? about walking in obedience to his instructions and commands. Uh, in, in John 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. You will follow me. You will do what I ask. Right? That is what it means to love him. Right? Serving him without obedience to his will is not loving him. Uh, we must devote ourselves to him as a disciple who is serious about following him. And ultimately, a disciple is one who is becoming like his teacher, who's adapting his, heart, his life and heart to reflect the character and likeness of Christ. If you go back to the story of the Good Samaritan, what was it that motivated the Good Samaritan to reach out and help? His compassion, right? A disciple is one who is solely having their life transformed so that their heart is now like the Father's heart where we now have a heart of compassion like God's heart of compassion, where we love him as God loves us and we love the world like God loves the world. Third thing. So Jesus is Lord. Uh, We are a devoted disciple. Thirdly, and again, these are all examples that Mary gave. Uh, We are sustained by his word. We're sustained by his word. Jesus says, Mary has chosen the good portion and the word portion there is a food word, right? Uh, like, you know, a good portion of potatoes or a good portion of meat. Okay, that's the, the way the word is used. Uh, it's your house. What is the portion, the good portion everybody fights over? Right? Is it the dark meat of the chicken or the white meat of the chicken? See, if it's in a perfect world, like, you know, everybody likes something different. In my house, everybody likes the same thing, right? Uh, maybe you fight over, is it the center of the cake or the outside, right? You know? crispy part of the gooey part. Uh, you know, there's the good portion. There's the good portion. Jesus says, uh, Mary has chosen the good portion. Um, she has chosen the best meal. So here's a picture. Martha's out trying to put together this great meal to impress Jesus and um, feed him. And Jesus says, I'll tell you the truth. I, I'm serving up my own meal, and Mary has chosen the better meal. She's chosen the better thing, to sit at my feet and eat at my table and be fed by my word and sustained by it. Um, is God's word, do you, do you, do you feel like God's word, the, the teaching of Jesus is essential for your life? It's essential for your life. Uh, I've had a couple times where I've had this experience of realizing how essential something is to life. One of them, has anybody here been scuba diving? Anybody? You know, you, you, uh, when you're scuba diving, you go into the water and you got this breathing thing on and you really start to appreciate breathing, right? right? And, and you're just aware as you're, you know, 30 feet, 40 feet under the water, how breathing would not be an option without this equipment, right? And if it runs out or fails, breathing is not an option for you anymore. And all of a sudden, it's, you know, it's, you have to really kind of... Con- have self-discipline to not just freak yourself out. Like, like death is, like I take this thing off and death is right there because I need air to live. And so breathing becomes essential. Now, of course, it's essential for us all, but in a room like this, we don't think about it because, you know, it's like, is the, next, is the next breath coming? 
<laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> I was worried there for a second, right? We just we take it for granted. But it's essential, right? Is God's word like that to us, right? Is God's word essential for our being? Where we have the hard attitude that I cannot live without feasting daily on his word. And by this, it doesn't mean, here's the thing, we're so good at, at routines and checking things off our list, okay? This does not mean, yeah, I went to the Bible, I did my five-minute Bible reading thing, yeah, I, did the, I do the Bible. Not what it means, right? Okay, it means where we take in the meal that Jesus has for us as sustenance for our soul and our life, right? It means we are meditating on his word, we are studying his word, we are reflecting on his word. We are being discipled by others who are mentoring us and understanding his word. We come to places like church and and other venues where we are taught by people who are gifted teaching the word because we recognize we cannot live without the word feeding our life and our soul. We cannot know the direction where to go because it's through the word that Jesus leads us and guides us and directs us. And our life would spin out of control if his word is not the anchor point, the center through which Jesus daily teaches me and prepares me for life and shows me how to live. Is that our heart and attitude towards his word? Do we come uh, constantly to sit at Jesus' feet in an attitude of submission and humility as a disciple and ask him to teach us? Does Jesus want to do that? Yes, right? Yes. He's given us his written word. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He speaks us to his word through so many different ways. He's longing to teach you. But you've got to come with the right heart. Yield and submissive to him. Hungry to know him and love him and to be led by him. Uh, I, I think if I could summarize the principle of this point this way, it would be this. Uh, You cannot claim that Jesus is Lord and center of your life if you are not deeply committed to his word. Uh, You cannot claim Jesus is Lord if you are not serious about his word. Uh, You may be welcoming him. You may be serious about serving him. You may be very desirous to have a deep relationship with him. But until you're making his word the daily food of your life, He is not Lord. He may be Savior. You may uh, be saved by his grace, but you are not letting him rule and lead your life. Um, And the result is we end up like Martha, right? Serving God, doing all kinds of good things that Jesus didn't ask us to do, uh, stressing ourselves out, carrying these burdens on the verge of burnout, right? Because Jesus is not really the center of our life. Jesus doesn't call us to that, right? He calls us to a life that works, that is effective, that is filled with a certain calm and peace because it's well-ordered and organized by Jesus. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.